Good evening, everyone. Official scorecard here. Big up to Phil Iki Subash Kunvor. What's up? What's up, everybody? Uh, hold on, just give me a second. Let me set up the background. Here it is. Okay. So on the menu tonight, as you can guess from uh, from the thumbnail, David Haney versus uh, Jorge Linares. Then um, Gary Russell Jr.'s brother, I think his name is Gary Anton Jr. Uh, he was fighting on... Um, the other card on the on the card of Upali versus Donaire, he was facing a guy who got robbed by Adrian Browner in the last fight. I want to say a couple of things about him. Then Subriel Matias versus uh, Bartijan uh, Jukembaev, as well as the main event. Of course, Nordin Bali, he was facing Nonito Donaire. By the way, anyone who's listening to the show, feel free to, to drop your two cents, to let me know what you thought about these fights. And um, yeah, hopefully later I will be able to to talk with you about these fights and uh, to, you know, to basically chat with you guys. Okay, just give me one moment. I have to, oh no, everything is set up. That's great. Okay, so I guess that in this case, I can go straight to two fights that I wanted to cover. First on the menu, well, see, and I, I was I was on the fence even about talking about this fight because I told you what I think about uh, some some of presumably top fighters at 135 division, so I almost decided not to talk about it at all, but I'm ending up. Starting this episode with it, Haney versus Linares. Okay, first thing first, it's visible that Haney's style is um, heavily dependent on on his jab. He's a he's a boxer. Um, you can say that he works a lot on his jab and that this is something that is going to, to, to become his main weapon. He doesn't have big punching power, etc. But that's something that I would assume all of you know. Now, if you remember, his um, was his previous fight against the corpse of Gamboa that was exhumated from the archaeological archaeological site. I think so. Well, see, to me personally, even despite being the WBC version champion at 135, 
to me, Hain is still a prospect, uh, just a prospect with a belt. Now there, are, there is a lot, I would not say confusion, yeah, confusion in fact, uh, about who's the real WBC version champion. Is it him or is it um, Teofimo Lopez? Now, for the record, you know that me, official scorecard boxing, as well as um, the 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 man behind the the brain behind the show, corruption in boxing. We don't give a fuck about these belts. Uh, our eyes are the only belt needed. You know that. We do not give a fuck about the official scorecards. Just about official scorecards' opinion and corruption in boxing's opinion. Uh, so, so yeah. First of all, we do not give a fuck about who's officially the champion because many of these guys are bitches. But I'll get to it later. But I have to say that if you're someone who, to whom it is very important, is uh, Teofimo Lopez really undisputed champion at 135, well, I would tell you, no, not at all. Because, yeah, despite Haney receiving his WBC belt through Gmail, he received the right belt. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the franchise belts does, do not matter. And supposedly they are not uh, available to for the unifications. Oh, what's up? What's up, Dell? Dell, a.k.a. Blue Color Sport TV, Sports TV. Big up to Dell. Thank you for being here. Uh, yeah, I'm Phil. Okay, Subash. Big up to Dell. Yeah. I guess every guest of this channel already knows about his boxing channel, Blue Collar Sports TV. But in case you're unaware of him, I strongly suggest you to, to check his channel out, uh, pumping up good content constantly. Um, and by the way, on top of it, he has a new channel that, <laughs> that with just a couple of videos is blowing, blowing, blowing up. And so maybe Dell's long-awaited retreat to Bulgaria is coming sooner than he expected because the other channel, the, the, um, uh, the gore and horror channel, um, is blowing up. It's called, um, um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Disturb the Reality. He's talking about the serial killers, the fucked up killings, etc. But enough of it. Uh, Heydar Mahmoud, what's up, man? The first time I'm seeing you here. Thank you for uh, for tuning in, man. Big up to Heydar. Uh, L Dog Zdravo, Zdravo to you too. <laughs> What's up, L Dog? L Dog has, has his own channel. I think it's L Dog. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, L Dog, big up, big up, big up. Post He's saying Donner is a beast. Yes, he is. 
Oh, it'd be, he's been a beast for uh, for a couple of decades, and man, man uh, this is uh, this is very good stuff from the Nair, um, the Shepherd of Sons. Hello, hello to you, bro. Hello, Shep. Uh, another new visitor and, in fact, a new subscriber, Banana Vaccination. <laughs> Big up to you. Thank you. Thank you, bro, for uh, for being here to you as well as Taylor. You're the guys I'm seeing for the first time. Anyways, let's jump into this fight in between Haney and Linares. I mean, I already jumped in, but let me continue where, where I was. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, he's, uh, he's still a prospect with, with a belt. Uh, not the first time it's happening, but the way he's boxing, he's still a prospect. Now, um, he, he looked more, how do you say it, more relaxed uh, in this fight against Linares, a bit more relaxed than uh, the way he was looking against Yuriorki's uh, Gamboa. Because against Gamboa, you could clearly, clearly see in that fight that he was just so defensive, so, so worried about not making a wrong move. So he was sticking to basics in that fight. Um, 100% of the fight. Now, it's sticking to basics is, I mean, it's his style after all. And uh, it was still the case in this, this fight against Jorge Linares. But uh, I could see that he was, he was more relaxed, trying more things. Um, he was not so, so, so stiff and uh, so as boring as he was against Gamboa because yeah that was fucking boring now he has some real talent and i do think that he's a very talented fighter and uh, could improve uh, certainly being that i'm already seeing improvements on, from him on a fight to fight basics so yeah why not i do believe that uh, he can he can become a serious threat to anyone but at the moment, he's he he's still green. He's still green, man. But do I have any hope for him? Yes, I do. Yes, I do completely. Uh, <laughs> by the way, speaking of that Gamboa fight, do you remember back at that uh, back at that time? It was around the time also when uh, Luis Ortiz was having his rematch against Wilder. So this this slick motherfuckers from Showtime, they were trying to make Gamboa and Luis Ortiz look younger uh, by sending them to, to some uh, hood barbershop um, hairstylist, whatever. <laughs> and they, they, they both came out for the fights with, with some crazy teenage hairstyles. <laughs> then that was a slick move from Showtime. But back to this fight against Jorge Linares. Uh, yeah, I uh, I have notes right in front of me on my PC. I I have a lot of things that that I've seen from all these fights that I'm going to talk about 
in this Haney fight as well. A lot of good things that I've seen from him because this was the very first time I was really paying a close attention to to what he's doing in, in the ring. So yeah, many good things I'm seeing from him against Linares as well as uh, many many things that he should improve and uh, so, some some very bad things. But yeah, he's good at throwing the DK punches at the end of his combos. Uh, for example, he would uh, he would throw a let's say three piece combo and then uh, in order to safely step back to the outside of Linares's range, uh, while doing so, he would uh, he would throw some uh, some soft punches, some soft jabs or right hands on his way back, moving back. So that way, he was making sure that he does not get cut with counters on his way out. Um, but at the same time, I saw that he he rather quickly devolved from that plan after um, after really sticking to it at the very beginning of the fight. Because after the very beginning of the fight, he stopped doing so as often. He was still doing it here and there, but it was obvious that uh, that thing with decoy punches for him uh, that are enabling him to move safely out of range is still not something that, that's been installed in him to the point of becoming the second nature to him. But with more training camps, I'm sure that it will become the case. So, yeah, certainly because Haney to me seems, you know, I'm going to say a lot of even bad things about him. You already had... Uh, the opportunity to hear me talk about it. But one thing is sure, he, at least for now, he seems uh, like uh, he's taking taking boxing seriously, he's training seriously. And uh, with the talent that he has, I see no reason that he does not improve. Now, to, to what point will he improve? It's a good question that uh, we have to wait, wait and see. But... Yeah. Uh, by the way, jab and right hands to the body. That's another thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, throughout the whole fight, he was he was doing something very simple yet, uh, very nice, very nice to see, very very basic but effective. Again, uh, at least it was effective against Lunaris, and it was. Uh, doubling and tripling soft jabs, setup jabs upstairs. So he would uh, make Linares put up a high guard. And the moment Linares does so, he would uh, go down with uh, with the jab to the body. Later, he, he slowly started adding straight rights to the body instead of the jab and uh, right hooks to the body. So yeah, that's... That was something that was very nice to see from uh, from David Haney. Um, the other technical thing I've seen from him, he likes to to throw a right hand after well after after his jabs or whatever setup punches to throw a right hand from mid or close range, even the uppercuts from from close range, and then right after throwing a uh, uppercut or a uh, right hand from mid range he would quickly lean back over his rear foot to get outside of uh, Linares's range, which was working wonderfully for him, 
at the beginning. But then Linares quickly started catching him with a left hook because he started timing him, uh, going back over his um, rear foot uh, as he was about... And also when... Um, David Haney also has... Uh, I've seen this... Uh, how do you call it, man? He's just leaning over his back foot and throwing soft setup jabs while in those moments uh, Linares was also doing something very simple yet very effective whenever guys are throwing a lot of soft setup jabs he was punching through the target countering through the target with conviction and uh, he was catching in that way not, um, not really too many times at the beginning but Later, when uh, he started working more, letting his hands go from the, from let's say the sixth round on, although he had a, a good fourth round, uh, Linares, but uh, he was not really letting his hands go that much until um, the middle of the fight, the sixth round. Uh, what else is there? Let me see. Let me check my notes. Yeah, I mean, I told you, even in this fight, although it was uh, not as much the case with with Haney in this fight against Linares as it was against Gamboa, but uh, it's it's a part of his DNA, of his nature, that he's not trying to, at least not trying to make too many mistakes. That's why he's uh, so defensive in his approach and uh, is trying to stick to basics, which which is a good thing. Um, but also the good thing from him and uh, his team is that this time at least they were not, um, you know, yapping about stopping Linares. Mm, that's a good thing because boxers sh should learn that uh, they'll get um, they'll get roasted on the internet, rightfully so, for. Um, how 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 that saying goes? Uh, when you cash the checks, your your mouth is cashing the check. No, writing the checks, your ass can cash something like that. But you get me, anyways. Um, uh, let's go to the next one. Another thing that I've seen from uh, David Haney is that he needs the room and time to think and he may be vulnerable in the pocket and also in the exchanges as he's open for counters when uh, punching in those situations. And uh, it was especially visible from the middle round um, up till the very end of the fight when, uh, in fact, this was exactly how Linares was able to, to really hurt him bad a couple of times by letting his hands go and um, attacking Haney with uh, with the volume and speed and uh, yeah it, it it's it's a good proof that he needs room you know to think and to fight at his own pace so so yeah yeah the high activity high pressure a lot of um, a lot of punches being thrown at him looks to to be troubling him at least for now uh, let me go to my notes, back to my notes. What else is there? Uh, 
Yeah, another thing that um, Haney has a tendency of doing is dipping low over his rear foot, and um, that's how that's how Linares was catching him with a lot of left shovel hooks and uppercuts, left uppercuts, sometimes left hooks too, and um, yeah. Well, I already told you how he, he likes to to throw a punch, then lean back over his back foot and deep low, um, put his upper body over the on the outside of his uh, rear foot. Um, but also another thing that he's uh, he has a tendency of doing is leaning forward with his hand uh, with his head forward and that's also how Linares was catching him he landed some uh, some vicious shovel left shovel hooks and left uppercuts in fact that was uh, the exact way how how he hurt him in uh, what was that uh, the eighth and also the the tenth or the eleventh round good thing about Haney, another good thing about Haney is that I've seen him at least trying to to work on the inside of the clinches a bit, you know. He was not extremely effective at it, but I've seen, and I'm talking about uh, fighting on the inside and the clinches uh, throughout the first uh, nine, ten rounds. <laughs> not the things that were happening uh in the championship rounds that's something else but um in the first nine or ten rounds what david haney was doing he was uh, when he was coming in and clinching he was not clinching all the time just uh, just uh, in order to wait for the referee to step in and separate them but instead uh uh, Haney was trying afterwards he was trying once once he's he was able to to step to short range he was trying to make some room for for his uppercuts thing like that now he was not really effective with it but it's clearly something that he's working on that he's drilling uh, in his training camps uh, so that's that's a, that's another nice thing to see from Devin. Hopefully he improves it. I believe also that he would be very vulnerable to the left jab, left hook combo because he always pulls his uh, upper body back over to his rear foot, like I told you, and leans, leans low on the outside of his rear foot. Uh, yeah, you... you all, all these things that, that I'm saying, that I'm breaking down about his style, keep in mind, you heard it here first. Because if anyone else, I mean, enough of being humble, being on, on that AJ shit, if anyone else, I mean, if I'm not giving myself props for what I'm doing. <laughs> Nobody else is going to do it. And uh, you can see it on the internet. The coup d'etat boxing, not always getting the credit, but it's all good. I'm going to do it myself. Uh, let me go to the chat room for a bit. Uh, Dog saying Haney is a good fighter. He can be good, but he cannot be the next Floyd in my opinion. Hey, you know what? Not surprising. Same for me, although at least for now. I mean, look, he he can improve. I 
I can see him even even improving Galat. But just take a look at where Floyd was at Devin Haney's age. You know that it's all being blown out of proportion when it comes to Haney. But I'll get to it later, don't worry, I'll dog. But thank you for that comment. And yeah, I do agree with you, totally agree. Um, yeah, he, uh, David Haney, another good thing is that uh, in this fight, he showed me a nice move of uh, things like um, quickly dipping low and weaving to the left to throw a left hook and to to throw a left hook upstairs, so so he's um, he he's straight uh, he's straight, sorry he's standing uh, up straight, and so he just quickly dips low, whips to the left, and comes up with the left hook upstairs as he's rising back upstairs. So it's it's uh, it's kind of nice uh, nice unpredictable move, you know. So, yeah, I'm liking what I'm seeing from David Haney. And um, on the other hand, like I told you, since Leonardo started letting his hands go, especially from the sixth round on up till the end of the fight, he he, he really started pissing Haney up with volume whenever he, he chose, whenever Leonardo decided to, to let his hands go. Now, the other thing is that he was not doing it constantly, so that's the problem. I was not really scoring the fight because uh, uh, I was watching the Showtime card live and um, after it ended I already found out about the result of the fight between Devin Haney and Linares so to me and, and look I was watching it but I was watching it in order to, to see what Haney was doing trying to to catch to catch what he's doing in during his technique uh, breaking down his uh, whole boxing style and what I'm seeing him trying to do in the ring or is doing in the ring so I was not really scoring the fight but however it seemed to me like uh, Linares won four or five rounds so at the very at the beginning first half of the fight especially um, David Haney banked uh, most of the rounds in the first half you can maybe make the case you can argue from uh, five to one to four to even maybe some maybe some people would would give him six to zero. I don't know. I was not really paying, you know, trying to score it at all. I was um, watching it just in order to give you a good precise breakdown, like the coup d'état boxing is always doing here. And. Um, what else is there about this fight? Uh, let's go back to my notes. Yeah, I told you that Linares was hurting him with, with the left uppercuts and shovel hooks, as, uh, yeah, he and his upper body could often be found leaning forward unprotected. Uh, Linares hurt him in the eighth round and wobbled him at the very end of the 10th round. So, and uh, the way he wobbled him at the very end of that 10th round, it was so serious that even in the next, the 11th round, he did not have his legs back. And uh, every time Linares would, would land cleanly on him with, with the punch upstairs, 
I'd see uh, David Haney's knees buckling every time Linares would hit him clean. But props to Haney for uh, for surviving the round. But <laughs> the last <laughs> two rounds of of the fight, not so much props to him. Uh, it's also curious why Linares did not become more aggressive once he hurt him. Now, yeah, in fact, uh, Haney was... The way he was behaving in, in those last rounds was disgusting. He was looking for every single opportunity to clinch. And I know what some of you are saying, but I, I, I'm going to, to, to I'm going to get into clinching in a minute and compare it with another recent fight that you probably have in mind and uh, are saying I'm a hater, but don't worry, uh, official did his film study, he's prepared as always. Um, yeah. So, especially these last two rounds, man, it was it was so fucked up with um, what David Haney was doing, the way he was clinching. That's something that deserves uh, points being taken away now. But on the other hand, to get back to Linares, I get that the last two rounds, uh, Haney was looking to, to, to hug him at every possible opportunity that he was given, but still... Uh, Linares was not as aggressive, was not trying to to keep on throwing combos. Instead, it looked like he was either looking for, for one single punch or maybe, you may never know, maybe, maybe there was some fix, but I'm not saying it's necessarily the case, but the way uh, Linares became so passive after visibly hurting him a couple of times. Oh, man, I didn't get it. And I'm, I'm repeating one more time. I am fully aware that Haney was not giving him too many opportunities to let his hands go in the 11th and the 12th round. But even despite that, there were some opportunities, but Linares was being so passive. And I'm wondering what's the reason for it. Uh, what's up, Max Kackerman? David Haney have the power to keep the elite guys off of him. Chino Linares was walking Haney down. Oh, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, Max, because I have it. It's in my notes because I have to address just a few more things about this fight. But don't worry, it will be addressed in a second. Uh, I have something to say about it. <clears throat> uh, hold on, what's next? <laughs> yeah, especially these, these, these last two rounds. Uh, Devin Haney and him clinching then uh, while in the clinch, turning his head, head away while being in the clinch and complaining about the rabbit punches while... Number one, there was no almost not, not a single rabbit punch. It was to the side of his head. But um, even if there was, he was the one man turning his head away. So and, and even the ref said him no, continue. Um 
But yeah, I would say that Haney's Haney's ring IQ is not bad at all. He knows uh, he's doing different things, so he knows when one clinch, etc. Even even that thing that we don't like. I mean, it's still it's it's good to know how to do it and how to use it. Um. I'm not defending him, but it's good to know it. Um, what else is there? I'm going through my notes. Yeah, this fight is uh, overall a great experience for Haney. That would surely make him better, at least for a bit. So, yeah, while I'm having all this criticism for, for the things he's not doing right, I'm doing it from from the standpoint of an analysis of... Uh, Oh, how do you call it? Of someone who who's doing the breakdown, the analysis, and um, on the other hand, I know that he's uh, he's young. He has a lot of time to to improve. So it's not like I'm I'm shitting on him. I'm just mentioning all these things that. I'm seeing during my breakdowns, during my film studies, you know. Uh, so, so yeah. Even despite that, I'm. I would expect him to improve. Sorry, uh, just to to write something. Sorry, I'm streaming now. Uh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, to first first thing first uh, about about clinching the difference between Haney clinching in this fight and uh, Taylor clinching against uh, against uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez uh, in this fight it was visible that uh, Haney was clinching all the time clinching for his dear life because he was heavily hurt despite despite lying at the post-fight conference saying that he was not hurt at all which which was a total bs a lie and uh, the second thing he was clinching in order to wait for uh, for the referee to step in and uh, separate them so, so he could clinch all over again, R rinse and repeat. You know, clinch, rinse, repeat. So that's that's another thing. On the other hand, what, like I told you in the previous episode, what Taylor was doing, he would clinch for a split second, and then just to break um, Ramirez's rhythm and then he would continue fighting in the clinch because he's an excellent inside fighter and Ramirez who's uh, who I would say he, he he's an underrated inside fighter at least for a <clears throat> for a bit because I've seen some some good skills on the inside from Ramirez but but uh, 
Taylor was too clever and uh, superior on the inside. And Ramirez was the one who, who after trying to fight uh, for a few times in the clinches at the start of the fight, at the beginning of the fight, ended up very quickly being the one who, who would wait for the referee to separate them. But enough of that fight. So I clearly explained you the difference in between what uh, Josh Taylor was doing and what uh, Devin Haney was doing. Uh, the referee in the Taylor Ramirez fight prevented Josh Taylor from uh, scoring many, many blows, many points on the inside by separating. Um, yeah, so. But anyways, I will do a film study on Devin Haney very soon. I mean, not very soon, but I'm uh, in the future, in the future, so somewhere in the future. I'm not sure when, because there are a lot of fighters, a lot of underrated great fighters that I want to, to do the film studies on, as well as some other uh, popular fighters. So, but, but I want to do it. Just to show show the people what I'm seeing now to what uh, Max in the chat room was saying. Um, hold on, by the way, let me check the chat for a bit. Timmy Nilan, hey, what's up? What's up again? Timmy Nilan, once again, big up to you. Another regular year, Timmy. Boom. Just enjoying the night, talking about the fights because I'm uh, right now, Timmy. I'm uh, I'm wrapping up this uh, Haney versus um, Linares fight. It's the first fight I started talking about on the show, and then I will be on to the other card that happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was uh, Max saying? Yeah about the punching power, man, that is going to be his problem. Because look, Haney, he's a natural natural welterweight, no doubt about it. If uh, there, there were same day weightings today, right now, he would be fighting in the welterweight division without any doubt. And it's so clear that he's he's just so young, he has a lot of muscles, so he's able to, to drain down you know, plus uh, it doesn't hurt being the, the A side in a sense that um, he's, a, he's a talent uh, that his promoters are investing a lot in him. So, you know how it goes when it comes to PEDs and things like that, but I'm not singling Haney out. It's Everybody, most of the fighters are using them. Not everybody, but most of them. But perhaps he's he's young, very young, able to squeeze down to 135. But I'm wondering for how long he will be able to do it, because he is really huge, man. Those those shoulders, the upper body. I mean, even the legs there. I mean. I cannot really recall if his legs, but I would guess his legs are not skinny, like Wilder's legs in pound for pound sense, but extremely heavy upper body man. He's he's huge. He's very tall. He's very wide. You you saw how wide his shoulders are, man. 
extremely wide. So yeah, right now there's no problem. Uh, or maybe there is. I don't, we don't know exactly what's happening. But for now, he's able to make 135. But punching power is a problem <laughs> because Linares, uh, he lost all of his previous fights by by TKOs, stoppages, knockouts, things like that being hurt, his face being pissed up, <laughs> and now his, uh, his face uh, wasn't bleeding for the first time in a defeat, and uh, Haney wasn't able to crack him. Uh, and he was trying, he, he was throwing some in punches. I mean, yeah, he's always a defensive first, defense first type of fighter, but uh, he was really trying to crack him here and there. Uh, he was throwing a lot of power punches, trying to hurt him, but it was not working. So, yeah, his punching power, or um, to be more precise, the lack of it, is worrying, especially. If you take into consideration that, like I said, he's a very young fighter in his early 20s, if I'm not wrong. He's something like 22, 23, right? So if at 135 you're not able to punch that hard, good luck to you on moving up. But again, 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 there is the other way to see it as well. What if uh, his punching power, he's lacking punching power at 135 because he's being so severely drained to fight at the third category? Mm, you should consider that one as well. So maybe his punching power improve, uh, improves as he's moving up, kind of similar to what's been the case with Crawford since moving up to 147. Because you remember Crawford, he was so tall, so huge, big. I mean, in, maybe not, not even that as wide as uh, Haney's, but at 135, he was so fucking huge, man. And uh, 140 also. So I would say that maybe, maybe his punching power improves, but but at the same time, it would not improve by by a lot, in my opinion. So the, there are still many things, you know, to worry about. And one of them is certainly his punching power if he moves up. Um, yeah, so good thing about uh, Devin Haney and his team that this time he's, he's retarded dad wasn't uh, you know saying that he he's gonna knock out this or that guy not going to knock out Linares um, yeah because they saw how it backfired on them for, uh, for a good reason and uh, yeah but at the same time I want you just to keep in mind that that uh, nothing changed that these are still the four queens, aka the fag four. Um, these are all divas. I mean, one thing I decided to do just the way they're um, they're using boxing in order to, to get rich and uh, and uh, you know get rich based on on the drama 
without uh, great fights in between them. The same way I'm going to use them and their name when needed in order to, you know, try to help this channel, the Kudeta, grow. <clears throat> so that's what I'm doing. But at the same time, not not selling out, not kissing the asses. Uh, when I talk about them, I'm gonna be talking about them the way I'm talking about the other fighters, meaning that I'm analyzing their boxing, things like that. I'm not into drama, into the latest tweets in between uh, Bill Haney and uh, Teofimo Senior because they're both retards, fucking retards. They can fuck off their professional liars. And uh, man, th their sons are behaving like bitches. I mean, keep in mind, I mean, I have to repeat myself. These, these four retards are being called the four kings. Let me tell you why there are four queens. The fab, the fag four. Not a single fight in between them yet. Not a single fight in between your fab four. So fuck the American media, fuck Teofimo Lopez, senior and junior, Bill and David Haney, Tang Davis, Queen Garcia. Fuck the magazines, fuck, uh, fuck uh, the big TV networks, fuck them, fuck them, fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, hold on, who's in the chat? Give me a second. Oh, intangible. Big up, intangible. Intangible boxing news, another channel. Matthias almost worked Jukembaev. Oh, yeah, man. I'll get to that fight in a second. Uh, first, right before that, I'm going into... Is his name Gary Antoine Russell, right? Gary Russell Jr.'s brother. And his fight against Santiago. Because I wanted to, to say a couple of... <clears throat> Excuse me, please. A couple of things about the fight. Now, this this Russell's brother, Antoine. Man, he's. Um, I can say that he's very talented, very promising. Not not the best, the highest possible talent in boxing. You know, not not the not um, not the talent of the highest order, but very good man, very promising boxer. Quick hands, but also short hands, fighting at 140. I like the snap on his punches. Uh, has a lot of snap, not pushing his punches. So has some explosiveness and quickness. I like that about him a lot. And um, there are a few things about him. Two things that remind me. And I'm not comparing him at all. 
to Pacquiao, but remind me in some regards of Pacquiao, his left hand. Now, he likes to, to throw a lot of one-twos and one-one-twos, just uh, like Pacquiao was doing, especially in the earlier stages of his career. Um, before he started by Freddie Roach and added many other things in his arsenal. But, excuse me for a moment. So the first thing that reminds me of Pacquiao is uh, the way he throws his straight left. Now, in this fight, I've seen him throwing a lot of looping left hands, southpaw left hands around the guard, etc. And, um, I mean, yeah, they, they they can be effective, but are not nearly as effective as, as his straight right hand. And also, I can get why such punches, would, uh, looping punches, would be thrown to um, to set a trap, to, um, to move the opponent's guard to the side, so the next time he can come in with a straight left. But, anyways, when he's throwing his... Um, straight left it's it's very snappy you know it's uh, it's very short very very silky you know i like that punch and uh when he's throwing it from uh, from mid-range he's coming in uh well just like pacquiao he's uh, i don't know how to explain it he's leaning in when uh, throwing the left hand from uh, from mid range with his upper body and uh, his head going behind that left hand going forward le leaning over like Pekka was doing you know when he would uh, throw a straight left and then pivot out on his right foot uh, or even like uh, you can also compare to Bernard Hopkins straight right where he would lean in with his head but unlike uh, with bernard hopkins uh anton russell and pecky are not uh, using were not using it using their head in the illegal manner hoping to to catch the opponent with with a head but um yeah so i told you about his looping and straight lefts uh, and uh, just the same way he, he throws that straight left, uh, he, um, the way he's slipping it in from mid-range, leaning over, leaning forward, he does the same thing with uh, with the left uppercut, which which is also good, man. He um, after he he makes the opponent used to to his uh, straight or looping left hands, he sneaks in uh, the left uppercut from time to time um, and uh, yeah another good thing about him is that the way he throws his right hook which is also also uh, uh, a very snappy punch he's not pushing it at all it's it's compact it's explosive and not that, but he likes to to move his upper body back over his rear foot when he oh, while he's doing so while he's throwing his right hook so so it's really nice man really really nice to see because that way he's uh, going out of um, He's taking his upper body back outside of, of the opponent's range 
thus he is preventing uh, eventual counters. Now, let me see my notes. Because there are some, I mean, more than few good things that I've seen from him, but also bad things that he was doing in the ring. <clears throat> By the way, if anyone can uh, tell me how old is he. But I liked what uh, what I saw the, the other night from, uh, from Russell, from the lesser known uh, Russell, member of the Russell family. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm looking at my notes. Yeah, so at the beginning I was wondering, you know, there was not a lot of lateral movement from him. And uh, yes, indeed, he, he mostly uses, uh, he, he, instead of using a lot of lateral movement, which he, he does use, but uh, not, not as much in the exchanges uh, he rather uses uh, changing uh, changing the ranges, going forward, backward, uh, switching in between short, mid, and long range in the exchanges. But what one good thing that that I've seen, because at the moment I was wondering why, when he was um, he was throwing his left hand, that short straight left hand, why he would not pivot out on his right foot just like Pacquiao is doing throughout his career. Uh, that was the first thing that I was thinking about. But then when I when I seen him starting to introduce the, the, the right hooks, it became uh, very, very clear and apparent to me that what he's doing is uh, when he steps in with uh, with the short left hand from mid range, stepping in, he steps in with his upper body over his uh, front foot, and then when he steps and in and his upper body is over his front foot, as he's throwing his um, his right hook and he's pulling his upper body back over his rear foot, he's he's pulling that rear fo foot back and to the left to, to a new angle. So he's always exiting to to the new angle and on the outside. So that's uh, that's something that, that I liked a lot about uh, Gary Anton Russell. By the way, the chat, please, please uh, correct me if, if I'm confusing him if, if his name is other than uh, Gary Anton Russell. And we have another, another. How, how do you say it? Regular in the chat. Apology man, none other than apology man. He's saying, "Yo, yo, you know who is it, and you know where I am." Uh, everybody knows that apologies in the gym, pumping the tyrant. Big up to apology. Who's, by the way, uh, another member of the PDA family? So big up to them as well. Yeah, overall, I liked his movements in the ring, and um, like I told you earlier, don't get me wrong, he does use the angles, the good angles, in fact, um, 
but the moments that I was seeing him use the lateral movement was mostly when Santiago was in the survival mode and when or when Santiago would sit down on his feet in order to throw a power punch which which would lock his feet and make him immobile. So so that's when uh, Russell would use the, the lateral movement while being on the offense. Um, and these are the, the, the same moments Spence creates, he creates his angles. Uh, because Spence, for example, or Spence was doing the same thing against... Uh, against uh, Mikey Garcia he, he he was not using a lot of uh, lateral movement in that fight against uh, Mikey Garcia he was mostly going in and out straight forward in a straight line but would use the lateral movement once uh, Mikey Garcia crouches you know uh, and locks his knees because when when your opponent crouches down in order to to throw a punch to sit on his punch or to to cover up uh, that way they're locking their knees and so that way it gives you the advantage and the possibility to use the lateral movement to step to the side while their feet their knees are locked and they are unable to to move and pivot as quickly he um, he would also, and uh, I'm not talking about Spence, I'm talking about uh, Gary Anton Russell. He would also create the angles after uh, leaning in with his left hand to pull back over the, the rear foot to set up the right hook, like I, like I described earlier. But despite that, I somehow feel like he mainly uses the front and back movement in a straight line, like I described with Spence. And... Uh, don't get me wrong, there's nothing bad with it. I just think that while doing so, he sometimes stays there in the middle, inside of the opponent's range too much while staying open up for uh, for punches. Now, Santiago wasn't the fighter who would test his defense, but even Santiago was able to counter and time him and even disrupt him with short straight left and rights. Uh, with those punches down the middle, it was kind of easy for him, even for him, to 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 time uh, Gary Anton Russell uh, stepping in from the outside, you know, uh, because he was opened up and, uh, like I told you, he has short arms. So um, I believe being more active and using more setup punches while coming in would would leave uh, Russell's opponents less room to get to get off their counters on him like uh, Santiago did a couple of times because with Russell's short arms and especially the looping left hands that he's throwing uh, yeah the, his hands are quick but uh, it give it it gives his opponents even more time to get time when uh, when he's throwing those looping left hands and wide left hands, um, and he's telegraphing them while throwing them. But also when he step, steps in with with one twos or one one twos, just like uh, it was the case with Pacquiao. Um, clever counter punches were able to to counter Pacquiao in between his jabs and uh, the straight left 
So it would be better for Russell to improve his uh, a couple of things, his inside fighting, or use more movement and increase his volume during the exchanges. Because keep in mind, I don't think his work rate is low, and he was certainly letting his hands go whenever Santiago was in the survival mode. And uh, I'm not trying to say that his work rate is low, but I'm saying that uh, he doesn't throw really a lot of uh, punches during the exchanges when his opponent is not hurt. And he's while he's inside of the opponent's range, he's not uh, throwing a lot of punches and not trying to set them, set them up enough. Um, so... I would ideally like him to, to, to improve all these things together because all of this... All the three of all, all the three of the things that I just mentioned would certainly make him uh, make it much harder for for him to get countered. And uh, if he improves those things, he would he, he would become a beast at one forty, in my opinion, because he's he's already a very talented, promising talent. You know, uh, I liked a lot the things that he was doing. So it tells me. The things that he was doing or trying to do in the ring, some some moves. Uh, when I'm doing my breakdowns, my film studies, it's easy to me to 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 see when fighter is trying or doing something in the ring, to 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 see that uh, they are drilling in the gym some some of those moves that I'm seeing. Uh, so I've seen the same thing from uh, from Russell. He's certainly working in his gym on some uh, some some good moves. He's drilling them. Uh, he can even become better with them, deadlier with them. Um, so, yeah, a couple of more things about him, about Russell. Uh, one thing that that I've seen from him that I didn't like a lot is uh, when he throws his power jabs. He telegraphs them too much. I don't know how to explain it, but it's so visible that he's about to throw a jab when he tries to to step in, to step forward with a power jab or a double double power jab. It's very easy to see. Um, another thing that I was thinking about during this fight brings me back to him looking vulnerable to me during the exchanges, to what I was saying earlier. I was wondering how would he fare against a pressure fighter with a very high work rate. Um, now, again, I've seen him doing the good things like throwing very quick counters while using the lateral movements a couple of times when Santiago pressured him. And Russell did great at those few moments, but I'm wondering what would happen if a high-quality pressure fighter with high volume would do against uh, this current ver version of uh, Gary Hunter Russell, you know? So... There is a possibility, in my opinion, that he may be bothered by by a high pressure fighter. But in, in the couple couple moments where I've seen uh, Santiago pressuring Gary Russell, he was doing extremely well. But um, those were just few moments. And plus, on top of that, Santiago is not uh, a fighter of the highest order. No distancing, but. Uh, not very skilled at it. 
excuse me. But overall, Gary Anton Russell, I would say that, and this was the only fight that I've seen from him. The the first time for me watching him fight. I think that after this fight, I can say that he's a very talented and promising fighter with uh, with a very good offense that he's uh, working really, really good in his gym uh, on his attacks and uh, tactics, very clever things that he's trying in the ring doing in the ring judging by his fight uh, by this fight which like i told you it's first time me watching a fight it seems like he can become one of the top fighters at 140 i'm not sure how much time he would need to 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 do so i just think he should improve his defense I'm kind of critical about it, but uh, like I told you, even with Devin Haney, it's not that you know I'm expecting too much from for this from these fighters that I want them to be perfect because no fighter is perfect. It's just uh, I, I'm just simply telling you what I'm seeing from my film studies. Uh, but yeah, it's natural to to make some mistakes and improve. Uh, but yeah, I do think that he's good. Just think that he should improve his defense. Otherwise, I'm looking forward to see him fighting again and improving and stepping up the competition. That would be it uh, about uh, Russell versus Santiago. Two more fights on the menu. Uh, yeah, what we have. Yeah, Subriel Matias against uh, Batirjan Jukembaev. And after that, it's Upali versus Donaire. Oh, it's getting hot here. Have to open up, open the windows up. Let me light up my cigarette. <clears throat> And uh, let's check the chat room. Oh, Triple JJJ is there. Bon Jovi, Cannoli. Yeah. Oh, big up, Triple JJJ. A backbone of this chat room. <laughs> big up, Triple JJJ. Yeah, so let's get into this fight in between uh, Subriel Matias and uh, Batyurjan Jukembaev. Matias, aka like uh, just just like me and corruption in boxing, named him Simon Phoenix <laughs> because he's a he's a demolition man with. Plus, on top of that, with the same ha hairstyle as uh, Simon Phoenix. Very good fight. I was not, uh, I didn't have enough time to, to, to study this one, to, to do my film study on this fight. And... Uh, Despite that, I was kind of expecting 
a much closer fight. I mean, I was expecting a fight of the year candidate. Sorry for the background noises. There's some cars passing next to my next to my building. Yeah, I was expecting this fight to be much more competitive. Uh, because from from the footage the that is available, I, I do think that almost all the professional fights from Jokembaev are on the internet, and I was in the process of downloading them, but uh, ha- didn't have time to to really watch them, study the fight before this fight. But enough with that. Simon Phoenix uh, stops him. I mean, uh, it was Jukimbaev's corner that pulls him out of the fight after the eighth, eighth round. Um, the way the way the fight went, I don't think it was very very difficult to score. The first two rounds I gave to Jukimbaev. The third round, I remember it was competitive, but cannot remember to whom I, I, I gave it. Uh, but it was certainly the round where uh, Matthias was starting to let his hands go. Uh, and from that point on, he was very dominant up till the, the very end of the seventh round, I think, if I'm not wrong, where, uh, where Jukimbaev caught him and fucking wobbled Matthias with a counter right hook and I'll get get into it and how how it happened exactly <clears throat> but yeah great performance from Matthias he he was as always very aggressive fan friendly fighter and uh, he deserves he deserves a lot more respect than, than he's currently getting. He he should be. He's probably one of the most exciting fighters in boxing today, along with um, the light flyweight Julio Cesar Martinez. I mean the flyweight. Sorry, excuse me. The light flyweight Julio Cesar Martinez, super flyweight Roman Gonzalez. I mean, I'm sure there are many other exi- exciting fighters, but him and those two guys I just mentioned from the top of my head are probably the, <clears throat> excuse me, three most exciting fighters in boxing today. Very offensively minded, very underrated. He's like, I mean, fuck, I don't want to compare him to Terminator. He's Simon Phoenix. He's about destruction. Now he's boxing behind behind his high guards, high guard. Sorry, and um, mostly looking, you know, to, to get to the inside. His ranges are kind of he can box on the inside. Very underrated inside fighter, not uh, supremely skilled, but yet very effective on the inside. Has a very good chin, although he got wobbled at the end of the seventh round by Baturjan. Um, but again, we are talking about an opponent who's who's very heavy-handed and explosive himself, 
So um, there's no shame in getting wobbled by him, especially by a counter punch, because he was throwing his own punch at the time of being caught by Batir John's right hook. But basically, I would say what things that, that would probably be effective against Subriel Matias is uh, pivoting and hooking around his guard because he likes to use that tight high guard coming forward. And uh, so... And even Baturjan uh, Jukimbaev, he was having a lot of success at the beginning of the fight with those pivots while he still haven't uh, succumbed to, to Matias's pressure. He was able, able to keep, not really keep the distance in a sense that he was boxing from the outside because that's definitely not what uh, Jukimbaev was doing. But he was able to, to, to constantly stay at uh, mid-range and... Uh, pivot from there and use the lateral movement. And so Matthias with his high guard, he's, uh, he's open for the hooks around the guard from both sides. And uh, I tell you why from both sides. Of course, not only when he's boxing against the South Powers or Orthodox fighters, that they, they can use the lead hooks against him around his guard, but also because he's blocking punches with his rear hand uh, in a very similar manner that Estrada is doing. And uh, I, 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 I showed you the clips in the breakdown videos before the fight, in, before the rematch of Estrada versus Chocolatito Gonzalez. So keep in mind, Subriel Matias is defending from one-twos in a very similar, if not exactly the same manner like Estrada is doing. So because of that, um, fighters, the opponents can be able to sneak in looping left hand if, if they're southpaws or left hook around his guard as well. Um, because he's putting that, uh, he's blocking punches. He's trying to to catch punches with his right right hand, which is his rear hand. And while doing so, he's putting it right in front of his chin, leaving open the, the right side or the right side of his jaw. So that's why he's uh, he's also open to to the the left hands, looping left hands. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> now Subriel Matias he does a very good job of blocking the uppercuts in that same manner that I just described to you with that rear right hand you heard it here first <laughs> no but yeah even uh, if it was shown uh, on slow-mo how he was able to, to block some of um, Jukimbaev's rear left uppercuts by by blocking with that rear hand in front of him and dropping it, you know, catching it. Uh, so I told you that he's very underrated inside fighter. Also, what I didn't see is that Jokembaya was catching him with uh, straight lefts after stepping to an angle while uh, Matias was 
returning to the same angle. Um, what, on the other hand, what Matthias likes to do on the inside is using his left elbow a lot, you know, in order to create the room for the left hand for usually, you know, he would, when on the inside, what he would usually do, create some room with his left elbow uh, in order to unleash his combos that would often start with, um, with the right hook or uppercut or overhand and then uh, throw a quick flurry that would end up usually with his sweeping left hook, which, which is a deadly weapon that we'll get to later. But Matthias's punches and combos on the inside are short, but not in a sense that they're explosive too, like some fighters are able to throw very short but very explosive uh, punches on the inside. Uh, his punches on the inside are short, but are not the same, not the ones that I just described. Uh, instead, they look like slaps and are not thrown with full, full power, but are still deadly, man. And even the commentators were saying on Showtime that uh, he's not turning over his punches, but are still hit. <laughs> he's still hurting his opponents, which, which is a testament to just how destructive and how heavy-handed Subriel Matias, a.k.a. Simon Phoenix is. <laughs> he's the best, in my opinion. Um, he's, he's at least top three fighter at 140. Um, I mean, I heard I was not really following what what was happening at 140 in a sense, what fights were supposed to be made, but I heard that supposedly uh, Regis Progray was offered that fight and that he refused to fight Matthias. Now, I'm not saying that it was the case. It was just something that I read somewhere on the internet. So I'm not sure at all that it was the case, but I heard it. And... <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. And it, if it was the case, man, <laughs> it would be just another proof of uh, Simon Phoenix's destructiveness. <laughs> By the way, again, even his body shots, they're excellent, man. Especially his right uppercut to the body. That's that's going through the target, man. <laughs> He's destroying the internal organs of, of his opponents. Uh, and uh, I have to be, to be honest with you, it's very unfortunate what happened to Maxim Dadashev in, in their fight. But at the same time, I'm very glad and very happy that uh, it did not change them in the boxing, at least, um, at least not in this fight. Uh, Maybe you can make a case that maybe he was pulling his punches in his previous two fights. But I'm not sure about it. Uh, I cannot remember. I haven't rewatched his very last fight before this one against Jukimbaev when he was facing um, uh, Tank Davis's stablemate. Uh, can't remember his first name, but something Hawkins, who was supposed to be a prospect, a good prospect from Baltimore, where he really destroyed him on the inside, stopped him inside five or six rounds, something like that. Uh, so, 
Yeah, but you you can maybe make the case that maybe I cannot remember even his fight against uh, Maxim Dadashev's stablemate uh, that he lost to on the on the card of uh, Fury Wilder rematch. But again, I'm hoping that what happened to Maxim Dadashev would not change a thing in his boxing because, man, if if his opponents get the feeling that he's trying that he's scared to hurt them they would use it to to their own advantage um he gets hit a lot when uh, locking his knees sitting on his rear foot right in front of the opponent at mid-range while he's staying at mid-range within the opponent's range and he likes to drop down to to usually throw a a a light setup jab and lean down over his uh, rear foot to throw an uppercut or a right hand straight right whatever <clears throat> whatever but that way he's very easy to to you know to to get stunned and to get hit with uh, with a short right counter and that's exactly how he got um, wobbled by Jukembaev at the end of the seventh round now um, he did it I mean he, he, he leaned he, he, he sat down on his right foot and he was doing it so slowly and it was so telegraphed that he was about to, to throw a right uppercut from mid-range which Jukembaev beautifully timed with, with the right hook um, I would say that Subriel Matias is probably the most destructive when his opponents hide behind the tight high guard and go into survival mode. When they're letting him freely unleash his combos from mid-range and get, get to stay in the mid-range to get full leverage on his combos that way. And that's when that's when he has enough of room to get the full leverage on his punches and on his combos from mid-range hooks, uppercuts, every every punch in the book, you know. And uh, even even despite them uh, hiding their chins, you know, protecting their face, their chin behind the tight high guard. It doesn't matter at all to, to Subriel Matias, thanks to his heavy hands, because he's hurting them up and down anywhere around their guard because of his, uh, his heavy hands. So he doesn't even need to land, uh, land straight on the button in order to, to really hurt them. Um, and I would say that another type of situation where he's very destructive is when he's he finds himself at short range, shoulder to shoulder, guard to guard, and uh, when he's throwing uh, hooks in combos while he's stepping back, while he's creating the distance, that's also when uh, when he's he's really powerful. Anyways, you get the point when uh, when he's getting when he's able to get some room in between him and the opponent to get the full leverage on his punches, that's when he's at his deadliest. Um, like I told you, I would say that it's very useful against him to, to use the pivots and lateral movement. 
but also changing ranges in between the long, mid and short range because sometimes he needs to, to set his feet in order to, to throw his punches. So that may disturb him. Uh, what else is to be said about him in, in this performance? Yes, 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 I know. Um, one thing that I liked about him in this fight is that he's good at varying the speed of his punches and combos. So sometimes they would look lethargic or whatever, but he would uh, he would do a very good job of switching, you know, in between slow and fast punches and uh, catching his opponents by surprise, worrying the power as well as the speed of his punches, single punches or combos. Um, and that's what that's also something that is catching his his opponents by surprise and that is hurting them. Um, now I exchanged a few words with corruption in boxing. Uh, he told me who's his promoter. I I, I forget the name, but uh, it's a um, Spanish-sounding name, so I would I would guess it's it's maybe a Puerto Rican. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm so sorry, I cannot remember what's his promoter's name. But uh, he was telling me about how. Avoided, not only avoided, but how unable he is to to get get the chances that he's deserving. And uh, I was just asking him, you know, maybe, you know, depending on who's his promoter, because I'm sure that he's not signed to any big time promoter. So yeah, maybe it could be the case. Uh, certainly, if. Uh, in his future career, we see him getting ducked by by the other fighters. I would say that his problem could be, you know, not having a big money machine or a big time promoter behind him. But anyways, excellent, excellent, excellent performance from uh, from Sabriel Matias. Uh, also known as Simon Phoenix on the Coup d'Etat Boxing Podcast, Boxing Show. Let me consult the chat room to see if... No, nothing's there. Okay, so it brings me to the last topic of tonight's show. The main event of the show, uh, Showtime, was it on Showtime? I would say so. Showtime card. Nordinu Bali versus Nonito Donaire. First of all, big respect to, to both fighters, but of course, Donaire, amazing, 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 amazing performance destructive his career revived since uh, he got into that w bss tournament world boxing super series um and uh, him moving down to 118 as well to bantamweight where he he refound his his force his power he's too destructive for <laughs> 
for, for the most of the guys in this weight class. He's a big bantamweight. Um, judging from what I'm hearing from uh, people like our friend um, Diego Bandido, he's very serious. Him and his family are very serious about uh, being healthy and uh, living the disciplined life. So that's great to hear, and uh, he deserves nothing less than that. He deserves to to keep on. I would not say surprising us, but threatening threatening us with with fantastic performances at the very end of his career because he's already what thirty eight years old. So huge props to the mayor. Also, in this fight. I was okay with uh, any of them two winning because I like Hubali a lot. I was not really following his career, but once that that I really paid attention to him, I saw that he's a very talented, talented boxer. I like a lot his movement, etc. I mean, he his quick hands. A very very attractive style to, to to watch in the ring but ultimately just like the takuma inue fight suggested to us nonito donaire's power was too much for him because remember his fight the fight in between ubali and uh, takuma inue that took place on the card of uh, the main event, which was uh, Naoya Inoue and uh, Nonito Donaire. Uh, Ubali was uh, boxing beautifully, but he got hurt and wobbled by, 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 by Takuma Inoue by the end of the fight. And so it was a very telling moment. Although he was he was a, a heavy betting favorite uh, for this fight, which was kind of surprising because people were wondering how much Nonito Donaire has left in the tank after that that punishing that grueling fight, that classic in between him and now Yainoe. But it looks like these virus imposed. Uh, layoff did a lot of good to him and it did a lot of good to many other older fighters in fact with him being one of them yeah so he he had enough of time to, to rest and prepare well for the fight and man he was looking very sharp I can tell you <clears throat> now First of all, I would like to tell you a couple of things that that I've seen from uh, from um, Nordin Ubali when I was analyzing his fight, doing my film study on his fight with Takuma Inoue. He's very dependent on uh, making the opponent's jab. And he does a lot of, he likes to bounce a lot. In some ways, he, he reminds me of the vintage uh, 
vintage uh, Juan Francisco Estrada style, which is very beautiful. Now, there, he's not box really boxing in the same way as uh, Juan Francisco Estrada used to. But I've seen some, some similar movements, few similar movements um, based off that, that bounce. Now, what Ubal is doing, uh, like I told you, he's fainting and provoking from the outside of range, bouncing on his feet. Uh, but he needs to draw in opponent in throwing a jab so that way he creates the opening for him to, to step in, to step in the pocket, to step within the range, and from there throw punches. Um, but I'll get, in fact, no, you know, I'll get to it uh, in a second. Uh, just hold on for a second. Let me make myself a coffee. <clears throat> okay, now let me go back to my notes. So, like I told you, he's depended on drawing his opponent's jab in order to, to create the openings. But the thing with Donner, as uh, we were able to see in their fight, Donner was not giving him the much-needed openings by engaging into the jab exchanges that Ubali uses to effectively jump in and counter. Instead, Donner was just feinting a jab and was being very, very patient and calm. And um, he was throwing he was only throwing uh, compact and powerful counters through the target when um, when only when Ubali would be in his range, only when Ubali steps in. But there were very, very few moments of um, of uh, Nonito Donaire being fainted out of position from the outside when uh, when Ubali was fainting from the outside. So for the most part, Nonito Donaire was not uh, buying um, Nordin Ubali's feints and, uh, and traps, you know. So that was very good. So Nonito was not very active. He, I mean... He was never really active, never had a huge uh, work rate to begin with. But coupled with his uh, his age and his patience and his improved ring IQ um, and certainly good tactical and strategic preparation for this fight because it was always that him and his team did a great, uh, great work on analyzing um, whole Ubali style. So they were not um, giving him the openings that, that he needed in order to, to be effective when win rounds look beautifully like he was looking in, in his previous fights. Uh, that's also the very, I mean, at least the very 
Oh, uh, I just confused myself. I wanted to say that's also at the very least a partial reason why Nonito was uh, leading much more with his straight right hand instead of with the jab, because he Nonito threw uh, some jabs here and there, but not so many of them. He was mostly paying close attention to this fight. He was mostly leading with with right hands. And uh, yeah, that, that that's why he that's why he was throwing his right hand and leading with his right hand so much because he did not want to give Ubali the openings with his jabbing hand. Now, just give me a second. Just a second. Yeah, okay, so sorry for waiting. I'm right back. Thank you for your patience. You guys are as patient as Nonito was. <laughs> That's a lame joke. But let me tell you what is not lame about the coup d'etat boxing and the official scorecard the breakdowns they are not lame at all their own point and so let me proceed with them <laughs> yeah uh, i've seen nonito in this fight using the same weapon ubali loves to use and that was one of the things that uh, i wanted to mention at the beginning of uh, of the breakdown of this fight and that is uh, stepping in to the inside of the opponent's lead foot with a wide but compact. I don't know how to describe it. I know it sounds uh, sounds very confusing and contradictory. Wide but compact hook. Uh, I'm looking for a better way to describe it. To describe it, but I'm fearing. I fear there uh, there is no no other way to describe. So he steps in in the pocket, puts his um, lead uh, lead foot inside of the opponent's lead foot instead of the outside, and uh, comes in with uh, with a compact foot a hook lead hook from the outside of the opponent's peripheral. Pe peripheral vision yeah let's let's describe it that way 
so it's it's still kind of quick and compact it's not telegraphed uh, but at the same time it's wide and it's intentionally wide in order for for the hook to come from the outside of uh, of the opponent's peripheral vision that was the the right description that i was looking for but the way that Nonito Donaire were was setting up that um, that lead left hook from the outside of the peripheral of peripheral sorry i need a lot of liquids uh, coffee uh, yeah excuse me yeah so the way Nonito Donaire was setting it up was by throwing a jab to the body a couple of times, which were the rare occasions on which he would uh, be leading with jab. And then after throwing a couple of jabs, you know, stepping in with, with a jab to the body of uh, Nordi Nubali, the next time he would step in fainting a jab and then uh, follow it up with uh, with with that left hook coming from the outside of Ubali's peripheral vision. You heard it here first. Uh, hold on, let me go to chat. Apology, man. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, un unfortunately, man. Yeah, corruption in boxing, unfortunately. Which for 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 uh, for for uh, YouTube boxing community is a huge loss, man. I mean, to any of you knowing what corruption in boxing is bringing with his analysis, you know that that it was top shelf, top shelf material. Yeah, but. You know, we we still uh, do exchange some um, uh, some messages, we um, etc. About boxing, but he doesn't really have time. And first of all, apology. It was crazy for him. Uh, I mean, me knowing everything that he has to do, you know, in his personal life with his obligations, etc. It was even crazy to, to, to start to get into this podcast shit with me. But uh, yeah, it was his, his love for boxing that uh, will never, I mean, probably it can disappear with, uh, with enough of corruption that we are seeing. <laughs> it may disappear, maybe it disappeared. <laughs> no, but the thing is, uh, man, guy is very, 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 uh, very busy person. So there is no way he he could uh, handle the tempo of you know staying up late and then doing the podcast. So yeah, unfortunately, to to answer your uh, your uh, your question, apology. Unfortunately, yeah, corruption is not able to to you know to to appear on the show anymore. But it is what it is. At least anytime I speak uh, about boxing, some boxing with him, I will make sure to 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 transmit his messages over here. But let's get back to Bali versus Donaire. Yeah, I just explained you how uh, he was uh, 
he started catching him with uh, with those sweeping left hooks from the outside of the peripheral vision. Now let me get back to my notes. Let me see what's next. Yeah, now uh, now about uh, Nordin Ubali. Uh, despite him being very active with his uh, front right hand from the southpaw stance, just like uh, like I told you moments earlier, um, that same right hand always ends up low in the changes after throwing his combos every time he steps inside of the opponent's range. For example, he would always, 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 always drop his right hand, especially when he throws a straight right or the overhand right upstairs, and then ends up leaning on the outside of his uh, lead right foot. So, because... We, very often, when he jumps jumps in the pocket with with the left hand, he likes to 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 move his hand uh, head over uh, over his front foot and lean to the side, you know, outside of his front foot. Um, so yeah, that's something that that helps him evade the opponent's jab, but not the left hooks. Especially not when they have such a great timing as Nonito Donaire does. Uh, you heard it, heard it here first. Nonito, yeah. So he, just like I told you now, he was timing him very well. With, well, first of all, he was timing him with straight right hand since the opening round. In fact, right since the opening bell. The first couple of seconds seconds of the fight, he started, you know, um, getting the, the the right range on his right uh, straight right counter whenever uh, Nordino Bali was stepping in. And too bad that I didn't have enough of time to to do a film study about this main event before the show, like in, like I intended to do, because. I thought that this was something that that is going to uh, that is going to be happening in this fight. Um, well, basically, it, it was it was happening, and what I'm talking about is uh, no need to catch on him with a straight right counter while uh, Upali was stepping in inside of his range. It was happening every time Bali would uh, jump into his range behind the jab, and uh, it was not very difficult for Nonito to time it. Uh, there was also more than enough of leading straight rights to Bali's body as well. Um, that's another thing that uh, that was very useful to Nonito Donaire. And by the way, Nonito, who's known for his destructive left hook, yeah, that's all good, and that's how he dropped uh, Nordino Ubali multiple times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, that's also how he broke a Nonito, uh, sorry, Inoue's orbital bone. But man, that right hand is extremely underrated. And uh, 
to anyone of you who watched my my solo channel official scorecard and uh, my description of how both of them Inoue and Anonito uh, Donaire were able to to make the adjustments and uh, adapt in between each other every next round every following round when uh, Inoue would do one thing that the next round Donaire would come up with with an answer to it. Uh, then uh, you know things like that. They were switching. I mean, it was from from the strategical standpoint. That's why it was amazing. From from that point as well, not only the destruction that it brought and the excitement, the punches, the drama, the broken bones. A lot of pain that that fight the fight of the year 2019 brought but also it showcased the ring iq of both inoue and uh, no need to the air and uh, in that fight against uh, naoya inoue uh, he did a wonderful job with with that right hand because at the beginning yeah he was effective with his left hook but then he was fucking i mean yeah, I know he definitely won the fight, but uh, in the process, he was he was getting fucked up by uh, by Nonito's right hand. That was probably the one thing that he he was not able to completely adapt to because Nonito was uh, throwing it dif uh, differently, uh, throwing straight right counter. Then he would start to loop it and throw the, the, the overhand right, then uh, he would see that uh, Inoue, who, who at the beginning was uh, moving to, to Nonito's uh, left, started to, to, to pivot on his right. And so he would start to time Inoue's pivots, things like that. So he can throw that right hand in many many different multiple ways man and by the way don't forget you heard it heard it here first now talking about donaire's ring iq in my opinion it definitely improved after realizing that his physical prime ended a couple of years ago and uh, it was especially easy to see since he dropped down to to the bantamweight division. And uh, it's easy to see that now he's doing, he's much more dedicated to setting up punches. And then again, uh, his fight against Inoue, as well as this fight against Bali, are perfect examples of it. Uh, he, he's doing it uh, right now more than ever, uh, being cerebral in the ring and uh, doing a lot of thinking, preparing very well, I mean, uh, when it comes to his strategy and tactics in the ring, he's doing a great job. I don't know if it's no need to donate himself or his team doing the film studies, preparing for the opponents. But but definitely whoever is responsible for uh, for his I would say 
improved and extremely underrated ring IQ, whether it's Nonito Donner himself, his team, or a combination of both. Huge respect, and it's very visible. Uh, very, very clever, very clever fighter, not only destructive, but clever. And by being clever, he's becoming, it automatically helps him to be even more destructive. Because <laughs> it's the completely up the complete opposite of Deontay Wilder. <laughs> His right hand is as, as destructive as it gets, but no setups, no skills at all. Uh, apology man saying you should ask the general Ness to be your new co-host. General Ness, it it would be a huge. Uh, huge honor word Ness is uh, always going to have a special spot on on the coup d'etat boxing man is the myth the legend living legend big up to 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 mr mendoza big up just letting you know that you're extremely appreciated and very funny, man. Big up to him. Yeah, Ness Mendoza, Mr. Mendoza, our Filipino friend, another Filipino friend among a uh, few of them that we know. And uh, very good guy, very, very good and funny guy. And I hope that he enjoyed uh, Nonito Donaire's performance. Um, yeah, let me go back to my notes. Yeah, a few more things that I've seen from uh, from Nonito. He was so at the beginning he was um, he was countering the the way he was uh, countering uh, Ubali at the beginning of the fight was standing his ground and uh, timing timing Ubali stepping in, but then he started switching it up and even. Uh, from the second round on, he started uh, stepping back outside, taking a back step, and then countering with a straight right. Then uh, he also introduced another way of countering uh, Ubali, stepping into his uh, into his range, and that was instead of stepping back or standing his ground, staying at the same spot when. Uh, Nordin Ubali jumps in from the outside, he would step forward, lean in, and counter with uh, with a short left uppercut or hook to the body. So, yeah, those, those, these are all the proofs of how how good and what, what of a thinking man Nonito Donaire is, or Donaire, is in the ring because from what I'm hearing from uh, from the Filipinos, it should be pronounced. Uh, he's he's not called the Donair. That's the way uh, people in the U.S. in the English-speaking countries are calling him. But he's Nonito Donaire, and I'll try to correct that myself to, to call him Donaire from now on, but very often I'm forgetting that. But yeah, 
another thing that he was countering him was uh, adding the left hook. Uh, um, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the same way when Upali uh, jumps in the pocket, he would jump out of pocket, you know, and um, while leaning back, he would throw a left hook. He was also leading with straight rights after fainting with his head movement and uh, keeping his hands low. Uh, yeah, so that's what he was doing from, from the long range. Those are the things. So, like you see, I just told you a couple of things, couple of things that I've seen him constantly doing in the ring. Very clever things, uh, showcasing you, Nonito's cerebrality in the ring. Now, let me get to to probably, 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 probably the most. Uh, how do you say it? The most interesting part of uh, of tonight's episode. The first knockdown that happened uh, near the end of the third round. Let's talk about it and uh, let's say a few words about how it uh, it happened. Well, first of all, it's one more time. It's a testament to. Nonito's timing, but is also the exact same situation as the one in which he broke Naoya Inoue's orbital bone. Just like when Naoya Inoue was trying to make the room in the pocket with his lead orthodox right elbow, so with his lead being that uh, Naoya was boxing from uh, the orthodox stance, now he was trying to make the room, to create the room in between him and Donaire with his, uh, sorry, with with his left elbow. Now he was doing so with the left elbow. Well, Nordinu Bali was trying to do the exactly same thing, but just from the southpaw stance. So it means with uh, with his right elbow, being that his um, lead arm, lead hand is his right hand. He's a southpaw. He was in the pocket with Donair too close to him, trying to move, uh, move him back a bit, create some space with the elbow to create the space for his left hand. And uh, the moment that he went with his uh, right elbow forward towards uh, Nonito Donaire, when he started pushing him, Nonito uh, timed him with that excellent left hook. You heard it here first. Yeah. Who else told you about uh, the similarities in between uh, this fight and uh, what he did to, to Naoya Inoue? What's up, Pajia? Big up, bro. Uh, thank you for being here. He's saying Donaire wished he was ringside taking photos of his own knockdown punches. <laughs> Pazia, Pazia, great, great one, great one. 
he says he destroyed the Ubali. Oh yeah, man, it was it was a total destruction. Another demolition man <laughs> in the house the last night. I mean, uh, two nights ago. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, huge respect to Bali. This doesn't take away anything from him and uh, his boxing, his class. But he was fighting a future Hall of Fame or Famer. An all-time great, I would say. Nonito Donaires, so nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, he was one of the rare French boxers who got the opportunity to to face such a legend, such a fighter as Donaire. <clears throat> so big credit to him for for sharing the ring with uh, with Donaire, and all the best to him in his career as well as to Donaire. But let me go through my notes. Yeah, but keep in mind, so the first knockdown that occurred in this fight in the third round, it was the exact same situation like like the one when um, Donaire um, destroyed uh, Inoue's orbital bone. Uh, the second knockdown that occurred at the very end of the same round, or oh, like all of you probably know, happened half a second after the bell for the end of the round. Excuse me. <clears throat> but I would say that, I mean, first of all, anyone who follows and oh, follows boxing and Nonito Donaire knows what a classy gentleman uh, Nonito is, probably the biggest gentleman in the whole boxing today. Huge gentleman, extremely, extremely lovely, lovely person. So he's never been a dirty fighter. Yeah, and the second knockdown definitely occurred right after the bell. I would say half a second, a split second after the battle for the end of the third round. But everybody, I mean, even Ubali and uh, his family know that it was not intentional from uh, from Donaire. Um, that uh, Nonito was already in motion throwing that left hook. So... Yeah, so to me, everything, being that he was already in the motion of throwing a punch, he was not able to stop himself. And yeah, despite it occurring right after the bell, to be honest, I have no problem with it being scored as a knockdown. Uh, and it was hell of a knockdown. And by the way, it was another example of Ubali throwing a right hand in the pocket with his right hand being low. Uh, he was trying to... He pulled back, thought that... <clears throat> that Nomito would throw a punch, so, so he pulled back over his rear foot, tried to throw a left uppercut, had his right hand low, and that's how that's how Nonito Nonito hurt him real bad at the end of the third round. And then 
de, de Knockout Punch, de A Very Well Timed, Lead Left Uppercut, I mean, another beautiful punch for the end of the fight. And so I don't want to, to talk about what's next for Donaire. It's, it's a very good question. He clearly wants the rematch with, uh, with Inoue. Uh, at the same time, I would love to see it, definitely love to see it, but at the same time, I would love to see him against uh, against uh, John Real Casimero. If I'm not wrong, uh, I, I saw uh, someone on Discord sharing... Um, John Real Casimero's tweet right after the fight, and uh, he he tagged uh, Nonito Donaire. I'm not sure if uh, I don't want to 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 give uh, the false informations, but I think he was maybe saying telling Donaire that he would be ready for for a fight in between them, but I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe he was simply congratulating Nonito uh, Donaire on his victory. But I, I do think for some reason that uh, he was telling him that he would li- love to fight him, but I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm completely off. Very possible. Uh, but yeah, I would also love to see Inoue against Casimero. And by the way, very soon I, I will... I will um, Talk about uh, Casimero's fight um, against uh, against um, and also issue a public apology to to, to General Casimero because uh, uh, man and uh, our friends um, Diego Bandido and Sina Musia they they heard me like two or three times saying that uh, Casimero was uh, ducking Inoue and they, they, they didn't even want to, to, to correct me. Uh, but yeah, after, after I asked them, what's the thing, the whole thing behind that, um, that fuckery, what really happened when they explained me and gave me a lot more information than I initially had and the only informations that I had were the ones from uh, where, well, from from the dick sucking uh, American uh, boxing establishment media. So, and I told you that you should never trust them. So, so yeah, definitely. Uh, I just I'm prepared to do it right now, and plus, it would be much better. To, to, to read our conversation, our three-way conversation in between uh, myself, Diego Bandido, and Sina um, Mosia. Uh, to, to, to read you out the valuable information about what went wrong in that clash between uh, Inoue and uh, Casimero. But yeah, definitely big up to Casimero. And... Uh, yeah, I was de- at least judging from the informations that I got from Sina uh, Musia and especially uh, Diego Bandido. I found out 
judging by those informations that Casimero was certainly not ducking Inoue. Uh, but if I, if, if I find uh, some other contradictory information, I can go back to saying, you know, you never know. But uh, the point is I'm trying to, to keep it real over here, not trying to fanboy. Um, I'm trying to to give to only give the correct information, so that's why I must admit that I was wrong on that one. Very wrong. Yeah. By the way, hold on. Who's in the chat room? There are some new posts. Haitian sensation promotion. Yo, salute, salute to you as well, Haitian, Haitian promotion. Patience is essential. Sorry, oh man, I need to drink some more. Patient sensation promotions. He's saying uh, Matthias has Matthias has great power and also has great. I'm becoming a fan of him. I I like how he's being built up. Definitely Haitian. Uh, I'll just uh, shortly call you. Haitian, because I, I got too, too tired. Uh, you can see that I'm unable to pronounce the words correctly, so sorry for that, Haitian. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, I do completely agree with you, man. He's such a best, such a best. And uh, props to, to Corruption in Boxing for being probably the first one really talking about him and... Um, on his own solo channel, uh, seeing a lot of good things about Matthias and his style and how destructive he is. Yeah, Haitian, definitely, definitely. Matthias, uh, he's a beast. He's a beast. He has everything. Uh, I would say he, uh, yeah, everybody's saying he doesn't have a. Some fantastic, great skills. Yeah, I do agree, but at the same time, they are not uh, bad skills at all. In fact, he he is very underrated by many parameters. And yeah, such a best. I would love to to see him get the opportunities of fighting the the, the best opposition at 140 and uh, not be ducked, and uh, to to fight them while while he's still in his prime. You know. I don't want uh, any motherfucker to to wait him out, to to let him get old, to get out of his prime. You know what I'm saying, Haitian? Yeah, so big respect, huge respect to, to Subriel Matias. On the coup d'etat boxing, also known as uh, Simon Phoenix, the demolition man. <laughs> But with that being said, yeah, I'll end the show. Thank you for uh, tuning in, sticking with me. Thank you for everybody being present in the chat room and uh, listening to to this episode live, but also for those who would uh, tune in later. And uh, very soon I have uh, I will have a big announcement about about the coup d'etat boxing, some uh, very good news. Uh, I mean... Okay, I don't want to, to give away too much. You'll know 
you'll know it very soon. Anyways, shout out to Subash, aka Amphil, uh, Dell, aka Blue Color Sports TV, uh, Hader Mahmoud, L Dog as well, The Shepherd of Sons, Banana Boxing Nation, uh, my ex Kakerman, Team Inilan, Intangible Boxing News, Apology Man, Triple JJJ, Padja, and the uh, Haitian Sensation Promotions. I want to thank God. I want to thank my team. I want to thank Al Heyman. 